What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Alexander the Great, Caesar and Cyrus the Great are perhaps some of the greatest rulers and names of the ancient world. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle are some of the greatest minds in philosophy that we can name throughout the past. Muhammad Ali, switching gears now. Wayne Gretzky and Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan are some of the greatest names in modern athletic sports. Beethoven, Mozart, and Bach are some of the greatest names that we can think of gathering around the piano and setting music to the sheet music. Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, and Samuel L. Jackson are certainly some of the greatest names we can think of as actors in Hollywood. Dolly Parton, Bob Dylan, and Taylor Swift are some of the greatest names we can drop considering songwriting in the modern era, so they say. In the early church, however, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and Athanasius are some of the greatest names we can think of in the infancy of the church of Jesus Christ. In the Protestant Reformation, in the 1500s, we can drop Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Zwingli as some of the prominent names of that era of the church. In the 1700s and 1800s, we think of pastors and preachers like Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, and Jonathan Edwards who carried forth the truth of the gospel to mention a greater name than themselves. We think of Billy Sunday and D.L. Moody and Billy Graham as some of the evangelists declaring great name, the great name Jesus Christ. Now, each of these names I've mentioned so far are names that in their lifetime developed quite a reputation that are still being talked about some just tens of years uh, ago and some hundreds of years ago and some thousands of years ago into the past and we're still talking about them. They developed a great reputation for their skill and their trade and their craft. But I submit to you today that there is no name as great as the name that David is writing about in Psalm number eight. You could go to Princeton and Harvard and Yale and have all the degrees and accolades of scholarship and still not contain the omniscience that the name in which we're studying in Psalm 8 has today. You could go back and study the rulers like Alexander the Great and Caesar and Cyrus and how powerful and mighty and dominant they were. They do not have the omnipotent power that the one we're speaking of today has. Today, my friends, We're not talking about somebody who has a stage presence of Taylor Swift or or Tom Hanks or or some other actor or performer. We're talking about somebody who has the presence of, of all presence of all time. And his name is God. His name is Jesus. His name is Adonai. His name is Yahweh, Jehovah, God, Elohim. My friends, the theme of this psalm is four words. God's name is excellent. 
God's name is excellent. That is the title of my message today. That is, if you can leave any away with any thought from Psalm number eight, it is within verse one and verse number nine. It's interesting. This Psalm begins and ends with this phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And so if I could rearrange the way it's written and share this thought, here's the thought I want to really relay to you today. God's name is the most excellent name in all the earth. God's name, not some actor, not some king, not some dominating figure of the modern era, but it is God's name, which is the most excellent name in all the earth. And we see David, maybe a young man, maybe an aged man, Maybe a, a young man out in the field writing about his God that he's worshiping. Maybe as a king with, with all the royalty uh, attached to leading a nation. Maybe he's there in his, in his palace writing about this man. We don't know the exact background, but we'll get into that later and soon enough. Psalm 8, by the way, is not just a psalm that David is praying and praising God about his name. This is a psalm us to the humanity of Jesus Christ and his great victory as the son of man in his earthly ministry. This psalm, by the way, is not only quoted by David or written down by David in Psalm 8. It is mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 21. It is mentioned by the apostle Paul in that resurrection chapter 15 of Corinthians. And it is mentioned by the writer of Hebrews himself correlating how Jesus is greater than everything the Old Testament has to offer and even God's uh, celestial angelic beings. God's name, not Gabriel. God's name, not Lucifer. God's name is the greatest name in all the earth. Now, that's quite a statement. I, I, I get that. Because we've had a lot of people come on the scenes throughout this time that we've lived as humanity's been on the earth. And, and I am, am, am asserting, I am declaring, I am arguing today that there is no name greater than the name of God. And it's quite a claim. So why in the world would I say that? Why is God's name so excellent, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that today. Because I believe that we're going to go back some 3,000 years ago and get into the mind of this earthly penman named David. See how David was fixed and focused upon the eternal throne of God. Seeing God as Yahweh. Seeing God as Adonai. Seeing God as his personal Lord. Seeing God as the only one who has a name that is far superior than everybody else that has been named among names. So I wonder today, would you agree with me that God's name is the most excellent name in all the earth? I would assume we, we are all on the same page because we're under, underneath this idea of a church. But, but I wonder today, there's sometimes in the church that we get this idea that sometimes there's a pastor or there's a preacher or there's a person who sometimes can get a name that, that might be on the same level as God. But I want you to know today, as we come to Psalm number eight, there is no being that has ever been created is on the same level as God. Now, that being said, I want to walk us through this text today, and I want to share with you five reasons why I believe God's name is excellent. Would you look at verse number one? 
Verse number one, by the way, this is the, this is the, the beginning and ending of the psalm, the exact word, exact phrase. And so listen, whenever there's a phrase repeated multiple times in a text, I think it's there for a purpose. It's for an emphasis. But, but remember, these are psalms. These are prayers that were prayed that were most likely put to music and praising God. And so the theme of this praise is that, that, that God's name is excellent. But the first reason is this. God's name is excellent because it is full of splendor. God's name is excellent because it is full of splendor. Sure, Alexander the Great had glory when he conquered the known world many, many moons ago. Sure, Muhammad Ali had, had some glory when he won in the ring against his opponents. Surely Tom Hanks had some glory on the film and on the big screen. And surely, surely Taylor Swift has much glory today from people at her concerts. But I submit to you today, that kind of glory is temporal. That kind of glory is not what the psalmist is mentioning today. The psalmist is saying, that there is no name as glorious as God. Psalm number eight is a psalm that, that mentions two words for Lord in verse number one. The first word is the word Lord in capital, capital letters in our English Bible. <clears throat> and it is the word that we get Jehovah from. It is the word that, that is, we get this idea of Yahweh. And all this word means, it is, this is the personal name for the God of Israel. This, this word implies that this is the self-existing God. God doesn't need you and God doesn't need me. He exists in, in all of himself and for himself. He, he doesn't need us. But then the next word is the word Adon or Adonai, giving the idea that he is, he is the sovereign Lord, the ruler and master of the world and universe. And so David is saying right here at the beginning and ending of his psalm, he says, God, you are my personal Lord and you are the Lord and master of my life. Shouldn't that be the anthem of our prayer and praise? That he is the supreme God of gods and that he is our Lord and our master and we are his slaves, if you will. Or our, his, our, we are his servants, if you will. Worshiping him. This word excellent. <laughs> to be quite frank with you, the word excellent doesn't do this word justice. Because it means he is excellent in power. It means he is excellent in fame. It means he is excellent in glory. It means he is excellent in might. He is excellent in all worth. And so as we read this verse, as we read this beginning prayer, it says this God who is personal, this God who is sovereign is the all-powerful, almighty, all-noble, all-famous, all-glorious, all-worthy God. What a God. But then he goes on and he says that he has set his glory above the heavens. Maybe you've been to a place like Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon or some type of natural phenomena that you stand there and it's like, is this even 
real. I mean, <laughs> imagine hopping into a rocket ship and being blasted off into space and looking back down on the earth and seeing the majesty and seeing the glory that it reveals. Pictures of it, I'm just going to be honest with you, doesn't even look real to me because it is so majestic and so glorious. And the Bible says that the glory of God is far above the heavens themselves. You go to the Grand Canyon, you see the, the massive hole, you go to Niagara Falls, you see the massive waterfall, you go into, uh, you look into a telescope, look at all the constellations and, and all the galaxies and everything out in the, in the universe and, and you see how vast and how glorious it is. But that pales in comparison to God. God's glory is above everything that we can even imagine. And so here, the psalmist David begins by saying, God's name is excellent because it is full of splendor. There is no glory that can be found in the name of God outside of Jesus. Nothing else compares. So why is his name so excellent? Well, first of all, in verse number one, because his, his name is full of splendor and glory. No name compares. But look at verse 2. In verse 2, the psalmist transitions. He, he takes his, his focus off of God and he puts his focus upon humanity and man itself. In fact, in verse number 2, it's, it's as if the psalmist is, is shifting his focus away from God and upon man, upon how God uses men and women to accomplish his plans on earth. And so secondly, God's name is excellent because it silences the avenger. God's name is excellent because it silences the avenger. In verse number two, the Bible says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. In other words, out of the mouth of the little ones, the little infants and babies. He has ordained, that means to set into motion, to set into place strength because of your enemies. It says, he, uh, um, he is mighty to still or to quiet or to calm down or to silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, it's interesting. When we come to verse number two, it should give us the idea that God uses the weak to accomplish his plans. You say, well, prove that to me, Brian. I don't believe I'm a weak man. I don't believe I'm a weak woman. Well, let me remind you, it was an aged Abraham who is weak in his physical abilities to have children. And God took him and his wife, Sarah, and gave us Israel through a weak man. It was an aged man named Moses who was around 80 years old when God raised up to go into Pharaoh's court along with Aaron, who was also in his 80s. It was a weak man and a weak army named Gideon. That God said, I don't need the tens of thousands of, of, of your military um, uh, soldiers. I need you to shrink it down to 300. God specializes in using the weak things of this world to accomplish his plan. Do you remember it was a young woman? It was a young woman in Matthew's gospel. When God said the angel Gabriel came to visit. And her name is Mary. God has a way of silencing his enemies. 
with the weak things of this world. And it's through Mary that he allowed his son to be incarnated and to, to inhabit the flesh and humanity so that he could once and for all silence the great enemy of God, Satan. Now, you know what's interesting? This psalm, this verse is quoted by Jesus. Jesus is, is having a chat with these religious people, these Pharisees, who, who were so consumed with themselves that they lost the sight of God himself. And may God help us not to have this Pharisee, Sadducee mentality where we're so focused on me, myself, and I that we need to be fixed and focused upon God himself and none other. But in Matthew chapter 21 and in verses 12 to 16, we see the scene where Jesus comes and flips over the money changers because they were using the place of worship as a place of stuffing money in their pockets for profit. And he looks to them and he says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? He has perfected praise. My friends, as we think about this man, David, by the way, in verse number two is, is the reason why some commentators and some theologians and some Bible scholars believe that, that this was a psalm right after, written right after David took his sling and his stones and he marched into battle and slayed the giant of Gath. Now, I don't know that to be true. We actually don't know exactly what took place, but they go to verse number two and say that David was a young man. He was weak. He didn't have all the proper training and, and didn't have the skill set to, to defeat anybody in battle much less a 10-foot-tall giant. And so it reminds us today that God intentionally uses the weak things of the world to accomplish his plan. So if you think you're strong, let me set the record straight. You're weak. If you think the strongest man or the strongest woman is strong, let's set the record straight. They are weak in comparison to God. God's name is excellent because his name, by the way, is the only name that can silence Lucifer himself. If I march into a place that was being contaminated by spiritual warfare, and I said, in the name of Brian Wayne Ratliff, cease to exist. I'm sorry. My name does not carry that kind of weight. In fact, my, my, my name doesn't really carry anything. If we march into a place with your name and use your name, it would be the same. It is only by the name of Jesus can sinners come to God in faith and repentance. It is only by the name of Jesus will, will Satan and the demons of hell be conquered and the grave defeated. The psalmist is, is, is beginning this psalm in verse 1 about the splendor of God's name, about how this name is what is able to silence the avengers. And in Romans chapter 12, it speaks about how he is the one who brings vengeance, not we ourselves. But now in verse 3, in verse 3, we see the third reason why God's name is so excellent. And I like this. Because the modern age has shifted its focus about origins. In verse number 3, it reminds me that God's name is excellent because he is the creator. He is the creator. When I consider 
your heavens. You know what consider means? It means to literally, to go into your living room and to turn the television on, sit down on that sofa and consider what's on TV. Same idea. David had a better TV. David had a better internet. And he sits down, maybe in his rocking chair of the ancient world, and he looks up to the heavens, to the sky, and he, and he says, he says, when I consider your heavens, O God, it says the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place. That's what ordained means. This verse is reminding us that David believed in Genesis. David believed in the proper perspective of origins. Now listen, I don't understand all the details in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but what I do understand is that God shouted with a big bang, let there be, and everything was into place. God is the one who spoke the world into existence. And, and David is, is literally affirming that God is the one who put the constellations and the galaxies and the solar system itself into place. The moon and the stars and the planets, they are all God's handiwork. You ever watched um, uh, TV, the guy, what is the guy's name with the afro? He does all the painting. I can't think of his name. Bob Ross, I thought of that. Was it. I just didn't want to say it yet. Bob Ross, uh, he had his, he had his uh, painting and he's painting and, and you're watching him paint and, and you get done. And, and, and to say, to watch Bob Ross paint something and to go and say Michelangelo painted that would, would actually be a disgrace to the one who actually painted the painting. And to literally say, that to, to go out and to make the same charge that this world is the product of anything else other than what God said it was, is to give disgrace to God who created the world. You see, I know there, there's a shift. There's been a shift the last couple of hundred of years to, to attack the very beginning of creation and origins. Now listen, I don't know exactly when it took place. I can't tell you on this such and such date of this such and such year is when God created the world. But what I am saying is this, is that I believe totally by faith that God created the world as he said he did in Genesis chapter one. And I believe David affirmed that right here. I believe Jesus affirmed that in his, in his life and ministry. In fact, Paul affirms that in Colossians one and the New Testament points us back to Genesis and so does the psalmist here. But actually, you know, verse number three, just the idea of God being the one who created the heavens and the world is just an introduction of really what the psalmist is trying to get at. So yes, I believe that God's name is excellent because he is the creator. Listen, nobody else created this world other than God himself, according to scripture. God's name is the most excellent name in all the earth because he is the creator, because he silenced the avenger, because he's full of splendor. But now look, let me draw your attention now to verses four and five to consider fourth of all. God's name is excellent because he is the savior. God's name is excellent because he is the Savior. Now, verse 4 speaks about mankind in general. From, from David's perspective, he's looking up to God 
and he's, he's saying, God, when, when I consider all the stars and the moons and the planets and the heavens in outer space, what is man? Who are we? We think we're so big sometimes. We got a, a big shot job and a, and a nice big fat salary and we think we're hot stuff. But let me just tell you something. You're nothing in the sight of God concerning the vastness of this universe. But at the same time, you are something in the sight of God because God, us little man, he inhabited humanity so that he could ransom us and redeem us from the slavery and bondage of sin. And in verse 4, he says, what, what is man that you even care about us? Or the son of man that you visit him? Now, I want you to understand that when if you just read Psalm 8 all by itself, you would come to the perspective that Psalm 8, verse 4 and 5, and 6 and 7 and 8 is about mankind in general. And I believe there's a sense of it being about mankind also, how God did create man and God created man and placed him in a garden to have dominion over the things of the world. As he says here, over the animals and over the fish, over the birds, over all that's here, God did make man to have that dominion over the world. But man lost his way in the garden. The first Adam failed. And by the way, if you were the first Adam or if you were the first Eve, you would have failed too. And so would I, we would all have failed. Because our nature is to run as far away from God as fast as possible. And except for God's grace and mercy, he reaches in and saves. It's a miracle he saves any of us. And praise God he does. But he says, he says you have made man. You have made the son of man a little lower than the angels. Now I want to pause right here and just share something with you. You read the English Bible here. You read the word angel. But this word... In the Hebrew Bible is the word Elohim. If you do a cross-reference in a lexicon, you'll find out that the word Elohim is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, Elohim, or God, created the heaven and the earth. And so I'm, I'm taken back here because it says, it says, so literally we could say, for you have made him a little lower than the God or the gods. Now check it out now. The word Elohim can be translated as God, capital G. It can be translated as God, lowercase g, and plural, but it also can be translated as angels. So what the psalmist is mentioning here is Elohim, who is the supreme God of gods, created celestial beings like angels, and underneath God himself and the angels he created, man came into existence. And he says, you have made him a little lower than the angelic host, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, if all you did was read these two verses in the Hebrew Bible or Psalm right here, all you're going to come to is this idea of mankind in general. But the good news is, is this is not the only time Psalm number eight is mentioned in the Bible. It's also mentioned in Hebrews chapter number two. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter two. Remember, Hebrews is, is a book that... that you know, it is of my persuasion that the Apostle Paul is preaching a sermon and maybe even Luke or somebody else wrote it down. But in, in Hebrews chapter 2, we, we find that this 
passage is quoted in verses five through nine. And, and you read verse five, six, seven, and eight, and you, you, you'll think the same thought that, that in general, this is all about humanity, mankind, the world, the people in the world. But then you go on to verse number nine of Hebrews two, and it says, but we see Say the word with me. Jesus, say it again. Jesus, we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I love this verse because it reminds us that God loved humanity in such a way that he allowed his son to come and to tabernacle among mankind, men and women like you and me, and so that he could live and so that he could go and die our death on the cross. And so now this call, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord can be delivered and saved from their sins. My friends, Psalm 8, yes, it is, a, it is a psalm of praise to God, but it is a psalm of praise to God directing to the Messiah that the Messiah is our Savior. And listen, if you're here today and you don't know that Savior, you don't know Jesus, I urge you, I beg you to come to faith today before it is eternally too late. When you cross through that doorway death, you will have no other chance. Right now, God is calling you. Right now, you need to understand, at one time in history, God demonstrated his love to all of mankind by Jesus' death on the cross. And that death is able to wipe your slate of sin clean. And listen, he did not stay dead. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, in the resurrection chapter, he writes about Jesus' marvelous and glorious resurrection. His name is so marvelous and, and majestic and excellent today because there is no other being who has the power of overcoming the grave. What a God we serve. So Psalm 8, yes, it is in a sense about mankind in general, but more specifically, it's also about Jesus who came and humbled himself and became obedient as a servant. And, and, and there he went all the way to the cross to take the sins of man and place it on his shoulder. God's name is the most excellent name in all the earth. It is full of splendor. It silences the, uh, the avenger. He is our creator and he is our savior. But I want to share with you fifthly and finally, from verses six through eight, or really down to verse nine too. God's name is excellent because he is the sovereign ruler. God's name is excellent because he is the sovereign ruler. In verse 6 and 7 and 8, it carries the idea of mankind in general being dominant over, um, you know, the, the cattle and the oxen, the beasts and the birds. Now, now, this does not mean, this does not mean that we mistreat the things which God has made. But what it does mean is that God has given mankind authority over the things of this world. Listen, God made us in his image. 
He didn't make cows or pigs or turtles or doves or the plants in God's image. He made you and me in his image. He gave us a unique mind. Sure, we may all be similar because we all come from the same source, but we're, we are the ones making God's image. And that is not to make us boastful and arrogant and prideful. It is to make us humble and to be great stewards of this earth in which God has given to us. But here it says, it, it elaborates about mankind, yes, in general, but also about Jesus. And as I read verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8, yes, we know that mankind was given dominion. Mankind blew it in the garden. And so as it stands today, the prince of the power of the air does have dominion over this world. And the enemy has dominion. He's, he's in politics. If you don't think he's there, he is. I'm telling you what, he is. And don't just think it's one party over the other that he's there. He's in all of them, man. He's in every government. He's in every nation. He's there. And don't just think that it's, that it's in Hollywood and in the public schoolhouse. It's everywhere. He's even in the church today. There are people, there are places that call themselves churches in reality. They don't even affirm the essential non-negotiable doctrine that Brother Joel talked about in Sunday school. Today, we understand that man blew it. But one day, praise God, Jesus will return. He will establish his kingdom and he will rule this world. And he oversees all even now. And it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I really want you to see this, so if you would, would you turn there? 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 27. Paul, yes, he's, he's emphasizing this backbone doctrine of Christ's resurrection from the grave. He is. He's declaring it loudly and boldly and, and blessedly. But, but in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, he goes back in his mind. He has Psalm 8 in his mind. And he says, for he has put all things under his feet. Now, this is talking about the second Adam here. This is talking about Jesus. All things are under his feet. All things submit to God. Everything. You, me, even Satan himself. It says, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. In other words, that verse in Corinthians, going back to here, verse six, thou hast made him, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all the animals, all the birds, all the fish of the sea. Just give us the idea that God's name is the sovereign ruler of the world. There have been people throughout the past who have tried to dominate this world with force, with a sword, with a gun, with a bomb, with a tank. We could list them. We could go on. We could talk for days about all of them. We could talk about their efforts and their strategies to, to overtake the known world. And if we live long enough, we'll see more of them come on the horizon. But what man has got to do, man has got to humble himself before God and say, there is no sovereign ruler like God. Alexander the Great, he's not the sovereign ruler of the universe. Adolf Hitler, as much as he tried to conquer the world in the 1900s, he is not the sovereign ruler of the universe. And if a president comes on the scene, who knows when, who knows if, 
But if there comes a president of the United States of America who tries in his own mind, lifts it up himself with, with pride to say, hey, we can, cover, we can conquer the world. We can understand this. This is my, this is our father's world, not anybody else's. And so I, I submit to you today that, that God's name is excellent because his name is the only name that is our sovereign ruler. God's name is so excellent because he is the only name that can save us and ransom us from our sins. He is so excellent because he is creator God who spoke the world into being. He silences all the avengers and enemies and he is full of glory and splendor. David, also they say, another theory is that this was a, a psalm that was sung when they were treading out the wine press. There they got the grapes together and, they, and they're stomping those grapes and they're singing out. I don't know. It's just what they say. I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But all I'm saying is this, is that every day of our life, our anthem should be the psalmist's anthem here. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. As we come to a close today, I want to ask you something. How Will you respond to the most excellent name in all the earth? You know, it's not the name of Nebuchadnezzar or Nero or some other ruler that we're going to bow to. Now, there may came, come along in the scene a dictator that will maybe overtake America. I don't know. I hope not. But there might come. We might be taken off as captives like Daniel in the Babylonian captivity. Who knows? But I submit to you that I call no one Lord but Jesus. I call no one master but Jesus. I call no one God but Jesus. And I think, I do, I believe this, this is just my opinion. I think there's a parallel here to Philippians chapter 2. Where he says, speaks about the humanity of Christ in Psalm 8 and how Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 did humble himself before God the Father and the world itself. And there he died. And as a result of him humbling himself, God the Father has exalted the name of Jesus far above every name. So when it says here, <clears throat> oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name? Sure, we can call him Yahweh. Sure, we can call him Adonai. Sure, we can call him Jehovah. Sure, we can call him Jah. Sure, we can call him all these names. But I know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. So will you bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord today if you haven't done it already? God's name is the most excellent name in all the earth. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.